with Cold Dilt, Dark Forest is the feature film, winning feature script. Uh, we read the first scene of the screenplay uh, about aliens. They come down to Earth. It's some slasher things going on, and there's a nice little thematic to it, isn't there, Cole? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to hope so. So what are you trying to say with this film besides entertaining the audience? Oh, my God. Uh, besides entertaining the audience? Um, I don't know. I... I, I I'm trying to kind of look at the, this is going to sound horribly pretentious, but I, I guess I'm trying to look at the, uh, the human perspective through the eyes of a non-human, I guess. But, but the way I say that, that's, that has kind of been done before. And, and from my estimation, they've, every time it's been done, it's been kind of not very uh, friendly to towards humanity. We kind of look at, whenever that sort of thing's done we they the, stereotype is that we're kind of just stupid and that we get in our own way which is true sometimes but i'm trying to do a little different spin on it i guess what's this like more of a positive light i guess um not more of a positive light well i don't know it depends what you mean by positive my whole thing is that that view is very um unsympathetic towards us i think life on this planet and for human beings is much harder than that sort of narrative gives. And so I, I, it's more brutal, the message I'm trying to say, but it is more positive because I, I guess the overall thing I'm trying to say with this script is, you know, you can look at us from up there and you can kind of, and you can kind of see how they could think that potentially, you know, this is aliens and stuff. So not yeah. really, but, but you could see how they could think that we're stupid, but how about you come down and you try to figure out what life's about with those things that we have to deal with. And then maybe you have a better appreciation for. Well, that's that a sign of, of intelligence, right? So the aliens wouldn't be, wouldn't have, if they, if they're smart enough to, to build a spaceship and get to earth and conquer, they would probably have that emotional intelligence to understand that not to, not to be so judgmental, I guess, at the beginning, I guess. Right. Um, well, it depends. I think that that could be a, th- uh, a way to see it, but I, I guess the way that I would see it is that, Aliens as a um, narrative device are kind of the um, the maximum amount of logic within a being. So while humans are n- not always, but kind of characteristically half and half logic and emotion, uh, mm-hmm. it seems to me that aliens and as an archetype is kind of just pure logic. And so, yeah. So you're still working on this script, right? You just submitted the, the are you, are you, is that, is the, fin, is that, is like the first, is the draft fully completed yet or? Yeah, the first draft is completed. I'm working on the second draft, which is horrific, but I, I'm getting through it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm on the second draft. I'm probably about to be done with that and then I'll move on to the third and then hopefully finish it by, I don't know, my, my end is the summer or my goal is the end of the summer. So then you decided to like, let's, let's, let's submit to a festival like ours, like that just does, has a contest for the first 10 pages, see if they get it. And then let's, we'll go from there. Is that what kind of your intention was? Yeah. I, I originally wrote this as a, it was, it was my, I guess my project for uh, screenwriting one. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, well, I just finished my junior year of college and uh, I, the goal of that class was to write the first act of a script. And then I, I wrote the first 10 pages and then I, I kept going over and over again uh, to fix it up for showing in class. Um, and I thought it was solid. And then I saw this 
opportunity and I, I thought, Hey, you know, cause I, I thought it was, I don't know, maybe it'll be a little vain, but I thought it was really good. And so I, I kind of wanted to see if I was full <laughs> of crap. That's, that's, it's, it's useful confidence. It's good to have. <laughs> it's like, uh, that's a good, it's a good way to be. So are you, what is your intention in life? I know it's a hard, a hard question. You just told me before I pressed record that you're in Brooklyn now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just moved there. So do you want to get in the film industry? Is that your kind of goal in life? Oh yeah. I, I, at, I would love to write movies and write TV shows. I, I actually kind of have more of a background quote unquote background. I haven't gotten a job or anything, but a, a background in writing pilots I've written, uh, I've written three pilots and then two of them I've submitted to competitions and they are doing, you know, fairly decently. Um, and so, yeah, writing, I, I am reluctant to say I want to direct because I, that's, I, because I've directed so little things that I just kind of feel um, self-conscious about that. So we'll, we'll stick with writing for now and then hopefully move up from there. And you got one more year of school. What was that? You said you have one more year of school. You said you're in your junior year. Yeah, I'm, I'm moving into my senior year. I'm going to try to finish up in uh, one semester because the, the, the prices are getting a little out of control. <laughs> Why, you have to double up on your, like, uh, you have, like, a certain amount of credits, you're going to try to get it all done? Yeah, I've, I've done a, a decent amount so far. I, I, I haven't had to, like, um, write anyone saying I need more credits than required or more credits than they're willing to dish out per semester. But it's, it, yeah, I, I'm stacking the last semester and I'm, I'm taking summer classes. Oh, good. And so yeah. you're, and then you just want to like, like try to intern somewhere. Like what's your goal? Like, what do you have a plan? <laughs> yeah. Right now I'm trying to intern and that's not going fantastic. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to intern, just trying to get into the industry, not going great. Cause the, so far the only job experience I worked at target and that was the last one that I, that's my last thing on the job experience. So the intern's not going great, but yeah, I'm going for that. Yeah. But I guess these like, like talking to me and like contests like that, I guess it should, should serve, serve you somewhat well. You could add to its pad the resume a little bit, I guess. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I have, uh, you know, the nominations and, and wins I have on my resume, but I guess when you're going for internships for production, they don't really care about writing a whole lot. Sure. No, but I'm just, it's, yeah. it's showing that you're productive, I guess. Right. It's yeah. 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 Of, uh, yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm hopefully I'm, I'm, I've shown that I'm not just kind of sitting around doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So tell me what's your routine. How long, first of all, how long, like, when did you start writing screenplays? Like how old were you? Oh, uh, probably 15. I think oh, wow. I, I, yeah. Um, that sounds impressive, but like, then, then you look at the scripts I wrote and it's like, oh, wow. Oh, that's still, like, <laughs> like you actually like figured out like the format and you got like a final draft or something and you kind of like, yeah, when I, yeah, when I was 15, I, I, the first, I originally tried with Celtics and I didn't really like it. And then Amazon for years had the, oh God, it was like Amazon script writing service. Of and course was, they did. Yeah. Yeah. And it was free. <laughs> And it was, it was, I thought it was really good so much so that like my, uh, I was in audio video productions in high school and, and one year I was using that to write the scripts for whatever we were doing in that class. And then the next year he kind of made it uh, gospel that we use that in class. And so, yeah, I was, I was writing that when I was 15. Um, I took a, a break for about a year and a half uh, early on in college because I got in my head that I wanted to be a stand-up, and then that didn't work out. Uh, well, it could still work out. You're still young. <laughs> that's completely true. But you're in the I right city. That's, that, for sure. that's 
that's true. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if I have the stomach for it. But uh, yeah. And then uh, when COVID happened, they they shipped us all home. Uh, and then there were no comedy clubs, so I couldn't pretend to be a comedian. And then I uh, I started writing again, and I just haven't stopped. And I actually really found a, a passion for it. So yeah. Where do you go to school? Just out of curiosity. Uh, Fordham, Fordham okay. uh, University in New York. Yeah. Yeah, that's they used to be a private school back in the day. Yeah, I think it. I think it is still a private school, but it's definitely lost its allure. Uh, Vince Lombardi went to Fordham. I don't know if oh, you, yeah. if, you, if that he's anywhere. You know, who Vince Lombardi is. I don't know if he's anywhere in the. I don't. No, I don't know. He's a famous football coach from the from the. They call it the Lombardi. You know, when they win the Super Bowl. Oh, okay. Lombardi. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's huh. uh, the five blocks of granite back in the day when they had actually had a football team back in the day. <laughs> So that's my education of Fordham. <laughs> it's much better than mine. Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. I'm assuming he's the, he's the most famous person. But then again, it was like a pretty big school back in the day. Had yeah. some pretty high heavy hitters uh, back in the day. So, and I mean, and of course, now including yourself. So you're, so you got shipped out to home and, yeah. uh, and now you're finishing off your last year in the one semester Mm-hmm. And then so you sort of like that's pretty like so that's that's part of like the process. It's like you're not very good in the, 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 when you start anything. You're not very good, and then but the the younger you start, the better it is because then yeah. you can kind of get the the cobwebs out of the system. And mm-hmm. then so do you have like a routine as a writer? Uh, like do you have like a set routine, or do you guys just, like, just write when you're inspired? Um, I I don't want. It's I haven't really been writing recently because I've been moving and I had finals yeah. recently. Uh, but yeah, normally I, I try to I try to do every day. I try to do it for at least an hour, um, depending on whether like what's it's also kind of dependent on what section of of any script that I'm working on is, because if it's really hard, then I might give up really easily one day and then uh, try to figure it out just thinking about it but yeah I, as a rule i try to do an hour a day that's great yeah and then yeah. i guess then the, when you get start getting paid or when you start getting accomplished mm-hmm. you can move it up to eight, 10 hours a day i guess right but no but like if you're just, awesome. almost like you're kind of like you're just making sure that you write something i guess and once a day i guess right yeah 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 so you said that in, uh, in, uh so you when you started, started writing you're 15 so i'm assuming you love movies that's what got you writing screenplays um when I was fifth, I, I, I've developed as I started writing again, whenever we got shipped home, I've started to develop the movies, but I really kind of just got into it because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I, I felt very desperate at finding what I wanted to do. And, and I, I originally wanted to be a scientist, whatever that meant. I didn't even know what that <laughs> meant. Just, I, I guess, yeah, I just kind of wanted people to think I was smart. And then I, I, kind of figured out that I didn't want to do that. And then I wanted to do something else. And so I started figuring, or I started looking around and, and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, and I think I watched a YouTube video where one guy was talking about writing. And, and so I thought I should try it. And I, I picked it up and I really liked it actually. And then, so then like, were you, would you like watch movies to study and see what to do or like, what was your process? What I, what I would do is I, I tried to think of the most of the movies that had the most unique um, visuals. And I, I, and that kind of my answer to that was Edgar Wright. And so I, I was a big fan of Edgar Wright's uh, movies. 
um and specifically with hot fuzz because it just did stuff that like i really thought was cool in terms of cinema and so when i when i started to figure that out i i downloaded the hot fuzz script and try and basically looked at the movie and then read the script to see what exactly he said in order to produce that if that makes sense and i know there's like also directing and and cinematography and all that but yeah just try to kind of establish what the words would be um in relation to what is actually on screen gotcha and then in the blog interview you said that zombie land was your uh, oh yeah saw the most oh yeah i've seen that movie god i see i watched that movie at least I forgot exactly what I said, but I think probably like two or three times a year. And I've been watching it since I, I think I saw it when it, uh, or, or at least around when it came out, I think I was 10 years old, which probably, you know, not that great of an idea for parenting wise to watch me or let uh, me watch it, that. It, but. Was a, it was a comedy, right? Like it was like, uh, that was the thing because you could, it's, it's Edward, Edward Wright obviously didn't do this, but it was in the vernacular of his type, type of tone where he was mixing genres, right? Like even in yeah. this book that you wrote now where mm-hmm. he was like adding comedy to kind of a horror genre and kind of like mixing things around. Not that it hasn't been done before, but he was like, he was changing the tone a little bit, right? Like it was, yeah. the action scenes were still serious, but mm-hmm. there's at the same time, there was comedy going on in between the action, I guess. Right. Oh yeah. And it, it, like it, in hot fuzz, he would, hot fuzz, it would yeah. Yeah. It would, it would be a, a, it was basically a comedy and an action and a really good action movie. And then like, it would show visuals like he, at one point the guy just discovered like a mount like mounds of bodies and that is was still taken with the same comedic tone and so yeah, yeah. i know i see what you yeah no it's, it's 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 interesting the way because it's like tone is so it's so hard to do yeah. and uh especially in a screenplay like yours and it's like and that's i think that's what that was your talent when it jumped out like your script jumps out because you kind of like establish a tone in the first like 10 pages and then and then we're the audience is off and running. They're like they're interested in, yeah. in this kind of like uniqueness. And I think that sort of so regular right being your kind of like you know like not unknown mentor. I'm assuming you never met him. No. Uh, like even Baby Driver, right? Which has yeah. like you know it's very violent, right? Mm-hmm. Very violent, but it has these kind of moments, right? Where like it's it's kind of like funny and it doesn't take itself too seriously, right? Oh yeah. Oh, there's. I I think we might be thinking of the same moment that was like horribly graphic. Yeah. And it's yeah, but no, that movie's yeah, that movie's awesome. And then they kind of he kind of plays with the sound a little bit in Baby Driver, which makes the the violence not so violent, I guess. Right. Sometimes. Yeah, it's a good distraction, I guess. It's a. Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just because it's like, but at the same time, he keeps the tone like tries to keep the tone light while. Well giving us gore and violence, I guess, with zombies, especially, I guess, right? In a couple of movies. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I see what you mean. It, it the, there's an, uh, an author, he's dead now, but uh, his name was Kurt Vonnegut. And I think he's sure. probably the, the best. Have you, have you read like Slaughterhouse-Five? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like uh, he did a, a, a seminar or he did a series of college seminars where he was discussing the, the structure of stories. And he, and his hypothesis was that the best stories are the ones where you can't really tell what the good news is and what the bad news is. And I think that, you know, Edgar Wright, he uses, especially in baby driver, he uses music to kind of confuse the tones. Like we've been talking about where 
you see that these horrible things, but you're, it's, it doesn't really affect you because it kind of seems like it shouldn't affect you, but there's no reason why it shouldn't affect you. And so I, I think that, I actually think that's probably, a, if not a true statement, pretty close to the truth, where if you should probably try to avoid telling the audience whether or not what is happening is good or bad. You should, I think it's probably best if the actors kind of decide what, for themselves, mm. if that makes sense. No, and no, then, yeah. It's yeah. like you're, but as a writer, you're just kind of like telling the story, I guess, right? And it's like, it's a really interesting take. It, it really is. Cause it's like, you know, it's like the, like this to be generic, like laughter and sadness. Like it's basically whatever the scene is, but, but at the same time, it depends on the audience member too. Like one person's yeah. gonna laugh, one person's gonna cry, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I think that's what you're kind of referring to. It's like, it's up to like, it's you're, you're not making an obvious choice. You're not telling the audience, this is this is supposed to be sad. This is supposed yeah. to be funny, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, it's yeah. interesting, yeah. yeah. So you're on your way, I guess. You're on your way as a writer. I think so. I think I'm do- I think I'm doing pretty good. I I have only really started submitting stuff this year and so far it's gone very well, I think. Yeah. Well, like I said you have one more year to go, so I wish you the best of luck. Uh let's talk again when you uh when you, when you're when you make your big uh, feature and you send it to us and uh we, we perform it or and, or whenever you make a film and you're executive producer whatever. I'm sure All we'll right. talk. That's basically what I'm saying is I'm sure we'll talk again. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. Bye. Dark Forest by Cole Diltz Black fills the screen. Everything is silent, apart from a light mechanical whirring. The noise is constant and unchanging, until... Exterior, marsh, day. The camera hovers above a calm marsh, the sounds of insects and frogs providing a warm alternative to the coldness before. We sit inches above the water, waiting. The quality of the footage is dated, as if we're watching a B-movie from the 80s. Off in the distance, we see the impression of a backwoods road. A yellow vehicle drives down, appearing only for a brief moment before disappearing behind the forest trees. The camera seems to activate, flying forward out of the marsh and onto the road. The road is completely straight, carving a path through thick woods. We see the car far in the distance. The camera stays put for a moment, watching. We hear what sounds like a small release of steam. It shoots off, flying quickly towards the car. It gets closer and closer, swaying back and forth. Eventually, the vehicle can be made out. A yellow 1982 Honda Accord with the silhouettes of three people cramped in the back seat. We begin to hear singing. At first, only a single female voice, then another. Mr. Salmon, bring me a dream. Make Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Give him the word, I'm not a rover. Then tell him that his lonesome nights are over. A high-pitched whir gets louder and louder as the camera gets closer and closer, just as it seems that we might hit the car. Smash cut. Interior, 82 Honda, continuous. Sitting inside are five teenagers, John, Chad, and Danny, 
along with Stacy and the beautiful Trixie. Chad sits in the driver's seat, with Trixie in the passenger. John sits in the back, arm around Stacy. Danny sits at the window, asleep. The girls continue to sing. How about we just turn on the radio? Can't. It's busted. You said you got this piece of junk checked out. First off, it is not a piece of junk. My dad bought this car just last month, fresh off the line. Second off, I did get it checked out. I guess they overlooked the radio. Besides, we probably wouldn't get a signal out here anyways. Sure. First, we nearly spin out a few miles back, and now the radio's busted. Mechanics sure know what they were doing. Don't you like my singing? Of course I do. I just feel we should be listening to music from this century. That song's a classic. Oh yeah? Who sang it? I don't know. So how do you know it's a classic? Because it's old and good. Ha. <laughs> Something like that. Trixie hits his arm and the two laugh. John and Stacy smile. Things seem nice. Say, Stacy, how do you know that song? I don't know. I guess I heard it when I was a kid or something. Would you like us to continue? Uh, no, thank you. Uh, I just might have a heart attack hearing a voice as pretty as yours. How about you, John? No, I could take a page from Danny's book and have a nap. How long has he been out anyways? Ever since we left. Which, at this point, might have been centuries ago. Well, normally he's not one to sleep in, but this time I think he had some medicinal help. John mimics smoking hash. The entire car laughs. Someone should wake him up. Isn't fear he gets to sleep through the home stretch. Stacy shakes Danny awake. What? Are we there yet? Yep. We got there two days ago. You slept through the entire weekend. <laughs> They laugh again, even though it wasn't very funny. The cabin's just a few miles up ahead. <laughs> That's good. Anyone got a lighter? You will not be smoking in my car. I wasn't gonna. You just need to warm my hands up. As the teens talk, the camera pulls out, with a metallic border forming around the frame. It continues to pull out until we realize that... Interior, spaceship, same time. The conversation is playing on a monitor inside an alien spaceship. The monitor pours out light with the rest of the room filled with a dark blue glow. The ship seems asleep. The entire room surrounds a large piece of machinery in the center. The machine, looking like a large hookah, holds four canisters filled with a thick pink liquid. The camera begins to go around the room hugging the wall of buttons, dials, and indicators. Small metal gates begin to open along the walls, revealing windows. We see out into open space. We further analyze the large machine, focusing on the canisters. Do you just plan on being stoned the entire weekend? Of course not, Stacy. I might have a few drinks, too. <laughs> the car laughs. You got the stuff in the trunk, right? Filled to the brim. Whose cabin is this anyways? I don't know. Found a listing for it. Super cheap. It's not going to be crawling with bugs, is it? Why, you scared of bugs? Chad tickles her, with her letting out an annoying squeal. Yeah, it should be fine. Great deal. How'd you find out about it? Got an ad from the owner, or at least I think it was the owner. You know who's been to the cabin before? 
Who? Craig and his family. What happened to Craig? I think he moved to Arizona. I don't remember that. No one actually knows where he went. His entire family just one day disappeared. That's weird. Anyway, the cabin should be furnished. Who needs furniture? I plan on passing out on the floor. The car laughs for the last time. (laughs) Oh, Danny. The screen cuts off with a message slowly typing itself out. Footage received. Primary objective established. The monitor slowly powers down. A moment of silence passes. Cue Mr. Sandman by the Cordettes. Montage with opening credits. The ship begins to activate. The lights above turn on. And we now fully see the state of the ship. Slightly rusty, slightly run down. A light dust fills the air before being sucked out of the room. The pink fluid bubbles slightly. The machine activates, pushing the substance from the canisters into four separate tubes. The tubes are funneled through the floor and into the germination room below. Interior germination continuous. Down below, the fluid flows into four large machines, set up head-to-head in a cross formation. They operate as sort of a 3D printer, using the pink substance as its base. The printer begins to create what looks like the skeleton, muscles, and finally the skin of a human. Four canisters, four prints, two women and two men. As the muscles are being printed, a second tube comes down from the ceiling. Dark blue liquid is inserted into the heart, filling out the veins. The song begins to end as the camera focuses on one of the women. The face is only half done, pink in hue, cut to black. Title card appears, Dark Forest. Exterior spaceship, minutes later. We see the exterior of the spaceship reflecting some light from a nearby star. The scene is silent, leading to a light jolt when the narration kicks in. The narrator sounds almost identical to Sigourney Weaver. The spaceship you are currently looking at is a research vessel, alien in origin, and property of one of the largest corporations operating within the galaxy. Although the ship has a name, limitations within human language makes a direct translation impossible. However, roughly translated into English, the name of the ship is akin to something along the lines of the passenger. Interior, passenger, various sections, continuous. We go back to the germination room, looking down at the pink creatures. They are fully printed out, now lying back on metal platforms. Although alive, they don't move, seemingly asleep and stark naked. There are four crew members aboard the passenger, all belonging to the same species the name of which cannot be roughly translated into English or even Latin, meaning any name given to them is as accurate as the next. For now, we will refer to them simply as Pinkmen. We cut to the room above, where the pink liquid slowly flows from the canisters into the tubes. After that, we go back to the germination room, where we see the smaller of the two males sit atop his platform eventually standing. 
The most interesting aspect of pinkmen are their highly adaptable genetics. Under the correct conditions, the pinkmen's naturally gelatinous form allows them to be molded into other types of organisms, granting them similar appearances as well as physical attributes. This ability allows the specimens to be proficient in a variety of professions, such as modeling, minor league sports, and of course, construction. All of which they are universally underpaid. We begin to explore the rest of the ship, such as the storage bay, navigation, and the theater, as well as some of the corridors. Storage, a large space at the base of the ship, it holds boxes of supplies as well as a few large glass cylinders containing collected specimens. Navigation, a near empty room with a central console and a large for lack of a better term, windshield, allowing us to see stars. Four chairs begin to extend from the floor. Theater. Designated for debriefing. The room is fairly small for a theater, but still too large for a four-man crew. Back to germination, where one of the females stands near a mirror. A drawer pops out, containing a uniform. She takes it and leaves. However, the more intelligent of the species tend to find work in low-level scientific fields, with the majority working in the field of specimen registration and extraction. Their ability to mask as other species allows them to infiltrate a population and extract specimens, all without attracting attention from any of the more intelligent life. They are widely regarded as the most effective people working in extraction, especially when compared to their closest competition, the Roswell Gray. Insert. Black and white image of the stereotypical gray alien with the large head. The camera spins around germination, with the last two, a male and female, lying on their platforms. The passengers' crew have been on many missions and seen almost everything the universe has to offer. However, nothing they have seen so far has prepared them for the night ahead. The crew will find themselves the victim of predators they have never considered, and the events they will soon witness will affect each and every one of them for the rest of their lives. Cut to black. Light pause. Very dramatic. Which, believe me, sounds much more dramatic than it really is. I think the rest of their lives is a little bit of a stretch, especially since only one of them will survive to morning. Chapter 1. Strangers in a Strange Land Interior Passenger Germination Moments Later From above, we look at the last remaining woman. She lies completely still. Her eyes are blank and without an iris. She is incredibly beautiful, yet stoic. The platform electrocutes the woman, waking her. A look of surprise shoots across her face, only to be replaced with a calm demeanor. The woman lies still, blinking to show life. Slowly, she attempts to move her hands, succeeding. Then her arms, then her legs, Every movement is dragged out, as if she is moving for the first time. She leans up, sitting on the side of the platform. The woman moves her neck 
back and forth, stretching. Her gaze meets a mirror, set up on the germination room wall. She stares at herself, studying the newly formed face. The woman cautiously stands and walks to the mirror, looking even further into eyes. Interesting. The mirror activates, with text appearing in a strange alien language. At the same time, a small drawer opens, containing what appears to be a microchip. The woman takes the chip on the tip of her finger and puts it to her neck. The skin absorbs it. It causes her light pain, a small, high-pitched noise filling her head. She closes her eyes, cringing. She opens her eyes, revealing a newly formed iris. She looks back to the mirror, reading the text which is now in English. Test, test, test. She smiles at the understanding, and then traces the smile with the tip of her finger. She tries to speak but can't, instead nodding in confirmation. Another message appears. Hello. Hello. Goodbye. Good. Goodbye. I hope to see you soon. The woman smiles. I hope to see you soon. End of opening scenes.